Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 30 for September 8th, 2009. For all you nonprofit tech geeks out there, I know the 2010 Nonprofit Technology Conference can't get here soon enough. And while it's still more than six months away, the good news is that the online NTC takes place next week. The theme of this virtual event is Managing Technology to Meet Your Mission, and the experts delivering the keynotes and sessions look very impressive. Today, I thought we'd offer a preview of the conference, meet a few speakers, and look at a couple sessions. Before we get into the IT goodness, let's meet today's panel. Joining me from San Diego is John Merritt, the Vice President of MIS at the YMCA of San Diego County. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Chad. Happy to be here. Looking forward to uh, today's uh, podcast. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know things are probably pretty hectic out there. Also coming back uh, is Peter Campbell, the Director of Information Technology at Earth Justice. Thanks for coming back, Peter. Happy to be here. Also coming to us is Holly Ross, the Executive Director of Inten. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thanks for having me. So managing technology to meet your mission is the sort of theme of the conference, and it's uh, for tech and IT leaders who want to hone their skills. Holly, can you give us an overview of the event and uh, why you decided to have an online conference? Sure. What we're really hoping to get out of the couple days that we have here is um, to, to let folks who join us have a conversation and get some really great takeaways about how to become better technology leaders in their organizations. Uh, I think a lot of nonprofits have what we sometimes refer to as the accidental techie, right, or the uh, IT responsible person for whom technology maybe isn't their actual real job, right, mm-hmm. uh, but they end up managing technology for the organization anyway. Or folks who actually are IT staff and they know the IT stuff well, but they are really trying to gain more inroads with the leadership of their nonprofits and help that leadership make the connection between technology and mission. So both those sets of people should be able to come to the conference and really broaden their skill set so that they, you know, if they're in the first category, they're going to have a much better sense of what they should be doing to better proactively manage technology in their organizations rather than just always be responding to things. Mm-hmm. And the second group should hopefully get some, walk away with some skills to help them bring more attention to the importance of technology in their organization, help their leadership make better technology decisions as well. And how has the response been to having an event like this? So I know it's sort of dovetailing with the book that you guys published mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, was there a really big sort of groundswell for this type of an event? Okay, listen, so everyone wants to talk about social media right now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) If we think Twitter, we have 100 people pounding down the door. And this is certainly not the stuff that I think people have a, let's just say they don't jump out of their seats with excitement all the time when we want to talk about this stuff. But that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about, and it doesn't mean that the struggles that people are facing aren't really real. So what we find is the more we talk about it, the more it resonates with people, and the more it resonates with people, the more they want to talk about it. So, you know, that's just what we're trying to do is really pound the pavement with this stuff because we feel like it's really important for the sector. It's stuff that, you know, we could walk away from this conversation, but we feel like it's important to keep having it. So we're just going to keep moving forward with it. (laughs) How was organizing an event like this different than organizing a um, sort of in-person event? Was Mm -hmm. it easy to sort of port your success from NTC into an event like this? 
Well, what's interesting about doing the event online is that, you know, you don't get any of that hallway time, right? Which is really, I think, one of the most valuable pieces of the MTC is seeing folks face-to-face and all that. So what we really tried to do is build into the event places for folks to be able to chat with each other and build community while they're going through this experience together um, so that they aren't just listening to, what we didn't want people to do is come and just listen to like four sets of webinars. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's no fun. Yeah. So so that's what we're really trying to do is, is to build that community building experience into the online event. And it's definitely different than anything we've done before. So it's a big giant experiment on our part. And hopefully we get it right the first time and, and everyone has a good time. Right. That sounds great. Now, John and Peter, uh, you're both presenting at the event. How does this sort of feel different than presenting at, say, NTC? Well, it is quite different. For me, I'm not going to be able to attend the whole event because I'm, I'm leaving town the, on the 17th. Um, so that's one difference with NTC. I would be there every every minute. Wouldn't miss it. I mean, I think this is going to be really interesting, and I, you know, I, I think Holly has all the right priorities that if we're going to make this worthwhile, it's got to be more than just a bunch of disconnected webinars. And but that's also, I think, for presenters like me, I've done a couple of webinars in my life. I've, I'll do more, I'm sure, but they're they're definitely trickier than having the people in the room being able to make the eye contact and get the conversation going that way. My, my goal is to do the same thing I do in an in-person presentation, which is spend no more than 20 minutes on establishing the topic, doing the PowerPoint or whatever, and get a good conversation going. But again, on, on a webinar, that's much more of a challenge than in-person for me. I totally agree with what Peter had to say there. I, I think for me, the, the big difference between a webinar versus um, you know, a live presentation is that I personally get really energized off of, uh, off of the people, the people in the room, the stories, the eye contact, yeah, you know, everything that's going on. There's a lot of good energy there. So um, it's going to be just a different format for me, not you know, being not used to doing presentations through a webinar format. Yeah. Again, really important to get the word out, and uh, like Holly said, just keep hitting the streets with this stuff, you know, and laying laying this this kind of IT platform within organizations everywhere. Yeah. Great. Now let's assume it all goes really well, and we can continue to be build more community into an event like this. Holly, will we uh, see more of these events going forward with uh, Intent? Well, yeah. I mean, I think we served uh, 1,450 folks at the NTC this year in San Francisco. We have close to 8,000 members of N10 and a community of close to 17,000 people. So clearly, you know, we're not getting all N10 to all people all the time. Uh, (laughs) And so, uh, you know, we're we're hoping this is a way, especially, you know, in quote-unquote these economic times, you know, (laughs) that folks can get together and get some of that value without having to spend quite so much money to do it. And like I said, both the learning value and the value of meeting their peers. Because uh, we know that you're going to have this conversation at the ONTC, and it's going to be great. But it is when you have some time to reflect and you take that back and you talk to those people you were chatting with at the ONTC, yeah. that's where the value really comes in. Well, that's great. Um, yeah, I really can see you know events like this, both because of these days and because of technology getting better, that uh, more and more virtual events will, will hopefully be popping up in the future. Because it's certainly, I think, you, like you said, you'd be able to reach more of your your N10 audience that can normally come to a, to the conference. So I really appreciate you joining us today, Holly. And uh, thank you thanks for taking your time out. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And yeah. uh, John and Peter, thank you guys too. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See you, Holly. Bye. 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 Thanks. Holly. Before we get into some session details, which is what I wanted to kind of talk to both of you about, I'm going to throw this question out to you. How is managing information technology for a nonprofit different than doing so for a business? Or is it? 
Chad, I, I would actually argue that it's, it's, it's only different when you're talking about things in terms of resources. I think the, the end result of an org versus a for-profit company is probably the same. I mean, both uh, the org and the business have a mission, and the mission needs to be met. And uh, I think the thing that I'm seeing in the not-for-profit world is that more NPs are starting to run themselves like businesses and leveraging technology, and they're working a lot very similar to how the public sector works. So I think that there's actually strong similarities in, you know, between the two. And for me, I mean, this is really, you know, the conference is based on the book, Managing Technology Meet Your Mission. I wrote the chapter on planning and prioritizing, which is largely about strategic planning and saw it as my opportunity to talk about how planning technology in a nonprofit is different than a for-profit, which I, I believe it is. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not really disagreeing with John here because there's <laughs> far more similarities than dissimilarities. At the end of the day, you know, as much as I may like Twitter and social media, as we've been saying, uh, you know, my job is to provide a very stable network with good backups and providing the applications people need and all, all the same things that I did when I worked for for-profits. So right. I, I worked for, I, I had the lead technologist role with two law firms in the 80s and 90s okay. before, uh, before switching to nonprofit. Now, do for-profits um, have the same phenomenon of accidental techies that nonprofits do? I love that phrase that Holly mentioned of sort of like, well, you're the techie guy, so you can figure out IT stuff. You know what I mean? Do nonprofits tend to fall into that bucket a little more often than for-profit? You know, I think that's actually more a factor of size than yeah, nonprofit okay. versus for-profit. I, I was an accidental techie. I was working at a law firm with about 20 people. I was the mailroom manager. They decided to get a network. They made me the IT guy. You know, this was in 86. So, you know, arguably, I wouldn't call myself an accidental techie today. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I have those roots and it was in for-profit. And the resources do play into it. It's more likely to happen in a nonprofit than a for-profit just because even if you have a tiny little five-person for-profit, they're better able to prioritize infrastructure in their budget than a nonprofit is. I mean, I'm heartened to see all these articles popping up lately that are kind of arguing about that and saying, you know, maybe <laughs> nonprofits are cutting themselves, you know, at the feet, off at the feet by this, you know, adherence to no money to infrastructure. But that's a long-time IT director complaint. <laughs> Yeah, I think you'll find that in both uh, both sectors there, Peter. I absolutely agree about the whole phenomenon of the accidental techie not being unique to uh, the not-for-profit, and it's truly a, a, an issue of size. Yeah, I debate you on the, I mean, what I always see, I, I always say that nonprofits, when it comes to acting like a business, have two great disadvantages. Disadvantage one is that CEOs are largely hired for their fundraising ability, more so than their business experience. I mean, that there are lots of exceptions to that rule, but the majority, that's, that's the key thing. Can you raise money? Do you know the people? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you don't have the type of leadership at the top that's business-oriented. But the other one that I think really speaks to this is that GuideStar and Charity Navigator and all these websites are up there that are you know, rating nonprofits on how many dollars went to mission as opposed to infrastructure. And that doesn't happen in the for-profit world. You know, where donors go and look up and rate a nonprofit on how little they spent on being solvent, <laughs> which is one way to put it. You know, I think the whole the whole IT and the CEO could be a completely separate discussion, and I love that <laughs> one, Peter. I mean, the, um, I think what's important and the thing that I've learned throughout the years is that from the CEO's perspective in the leadership role in an org is just to recognize the value of, of leveraging technology to further the mission, and that's kind of where it ends. So there's a, an important relationship that actually kind of needs to grow up between IT, you know, the, the lead IT person in an org or a business, and the CEO. And then once that exists, the CEO ends up with a very powerful and invaluable tool 
tool in, in, in meeting goals like fundraising. One of the things that uh, my co-presenter, uh, Steve High, and I are going to actually talk about at the ONTC is uh, what an unaligned organization might look like uh, as it relates to fundraising and how it might look if it's aligned. So uh, interesting uh, topic there. Well, let's go ahead and segue into your session, John. Your session is entitled Aligning IT with Your Mission. It's in the leadership track. And I love the line in the session description about how nonprofits are responsible for serving a social bottom line, not just a financial bottom line. So how does like IT alignment serve that social bottom line? Well, IT alignment, as far as I see it in, in, in the organization, is really about ensuring that the trains are running on time. Peter mentioned infrastructure and how important that is to uh, an organization. Holly actually hit on this on her introduction about uh, how everybody's kind of running to the social media sh shiny object right now. Yeah. But uh, what's what's really really key and 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 important in an organization is leveraging technology to ensure that that the basics, uh, the core mission, can be met. And a lot of that is just using technology to maybe extend um, technology and the mission just into the community spaces around the organization. How do nonprofits determine if their current technology is actually aligned with? their mission. I mean, uh, you're going to be providing some tools, I assume, for that. But um, how, do, how does one sort of self-assess today? Going back quite a few years, actually, again, Steve High and I worked uh, worked up a simple tool and um, kind of a measurement metric uh, type device, not not real techie in origin, but what it uh, what it does is it kind of works on a continuum that starts with chaos and and and, <laughs> and the chaotic uh, tech realm at the low end, and then moves all the way up to the service value. Um, uh, uh, at the far end. And one of the things that we like to do when we work with orgs and talk about, you know, uh, an understanding of alignment and do they have the technology to meet the mission is kind of take them through this continuum. Um, it, the, the five chops are basically uh, chaos, reactive, proactive, service, and value. Okay. And what do you think people um, in your session will be able to walk away with? I think that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, have a simple to kind of measure where they are in the continuum. You know, they, that, mm -hmm. I, the hope would be is that they'll kind of walk away knowing that, you know, they, this is where my org is. You know, we're kind of constantly and reactive, and then they'll have an understanding of how they might move from there up to proactive. Mm -hmm. So they're going to kind of have a, you know, this this visual framework of 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 how to look at themselves. I think that they're going to have a good a good definition and understanding of IT alignment. There's a lot of argument in the IT world actually that alignment is dead. That that the company or the organization that that isn't aligned isn't functioning anyways. But what we really see in the in the in the not-for-profit world is that uh, because of resources, because of you know challenges of size, that um, there just isn't you know, any real IT functioning in support of the mission. So um, we want to help them understand those things. Um, the other thing that we hope that they'll walk away with is uh, kind of a good view of the aligned versus the unaligned. You know what it looks like to be you know aligned when it comes to marketing, and what it looks like to be aligned when it comes to fundraising. Okay, uh, Peter, let's take a look at your session you're presenting on it planning and prioritizing it looks really interesting i like that you are showing how to get technology projects implemented creatively um so I, yeah i can't imagine that you know deciding which it projects to plan for and, and implement is difficult for all nonprofits, especially when you're resource strapped how will your session help them make those tough choices so my session really focuses on two strong ideas and both both of which you've posed as questions or answers to questions you posed <laughs> one is that the organization needs to align mission to budget very strongly in order to make the right decisions so the so I, I really start out from a high above the IT level just saying what is a strategic planning process and talking about some of the tools that you can use to have a strategic planning process that keeps you aware of the social bottom line uh, balanced scorecard which uh, 
make sure that every item that you're planning for in your business plan, your strategic plan, your budget is tied to a recognizable outcome. And I talk a bit about, you know, the everybody's running to SWAT tools, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and make the case that in a nonprofit, as opposed to a for-profit, again, based on my experience in for-profits, it's easier to allocate the money to overhead. You really have to determine not only what should you do, what technology projects you should take on, but determine which ones do you have to do exactly the way a for-profit would do. Okay. You know, as you know, we yeah. just put in BlackBot Enterprise. Um, it's our fundraising database. Um, we treated that the way a for-profit would treat it, that project. We put in the resources, got the attention to it internally, went through the executives, all that. But there are other cases where I think you can be really creative, save a lot of money, and maybe take a lot of risks. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a small nonprofit that does community-based work, your phone system may not be all that critical. You're not really making a lot of long-distance calls. Most of your staff have cell phones. So go for that refurbished model. Try out VoIP if it's cheaper and it plugs right into your existing hardware. Yeah, so, so that's the kind of creativity case, which is first analyze what, are, what risks can I take and then take some because where I think most nonprofits make the mistake is they don't know how to prioritize technology correctly. So they either don't do things that they need to because they don't think they can because they're only looking at the you know, expensive, hard way to do it. Right. Or, or, you know, they're sacrificing something really important in favor of something else because there isn't enough money, time, resources to do both. Right. So when you guys, you guys both have brought this up, when you're looking at sort of IT purchasing, does that all fall into the infrastructure bucket versus mission bucket? Well, you know, capital versus expense. Yeah. So capital is definitely easier to plan for and easier to get by in a nonprofit. Right. But, you know, I mean, I've worked with different finance people who have different, different definitions of what can be capitalized and what can't. Well, also, when we look at it funding and purchasing, the other thing that we look at is the strategic versus the tactical. And, uh, you know, strategic is is, is the purchases that we're going to make long term to support the organization. And tactical is often, you know, just about infrastructure and just keeping things up and going. Now, Peter, when you were talking about creating like a formal IT plan, is is that what you were you're kind of talking about what John was mentioning about having like sort of a long-term vision and having things like, you know, really, this is what we need to do to reach this goal. And does that sort of help you get your infrastructure in place then? Absolutely. It boils down to the IT strategic plan and how that's put together. And absolutely. Right. I've always made the separation as strategic plan does go out a ways. It should always go out five years or, you know, maybe right. not more in IT. Um, right. And, you know, I, because my belief that if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get anywhere. Yeah. Now, an IT plan also has to be really fluid and flexible. Changes happen so quickly in our industry, and those changes represent opportunities. So if you say in you know, 2009 that in three years you're going to put in X database system, well, in three years it might make a whole lot more sense to go with a cloud computing platform or something like that. Yeah. And there will be cost and productivity benefits that just outweigh the plan made today. That shouldn't be a problem. The IT plan should identify the need, that we need to track this kind of information. We need to have a suitable system in order to track it. And then we can be flexible when it comes time to implement that down the road. That's a nice way to look at it. So, yeah, so the goals are rigid, but the tactics are flexible. But, again, if you're doing year-to-year IT planning, you completely fail. One of the points I make is something I try and do is – spread out evenly my desktop purchases. Okay. So we have about 175 desktops at Earth Justice. And when I arrived there, you know, not to bad talk my company, but they had a, had a year where they didn't buy any desktops. It's a tight budget year. They decided they didn't need any. What that means is that you pay for it the next year okay. because desktops do become outdated. So if you can do enough long-term planning to put things on a schedule 
and minimize kind of the surprises and the, the big budget impacts, then you've got more flexibility. Well, yeah, it sounds a little bit like what you were talking about, John, with about, you know, moving from being reactive to being proactive. Like, you know, go ahead and buy yes. those desktops, you know, ahead of time, maybe even if so you don't have to buy them all in one year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, we use that uh, that tactic here, and it's actually pretty good. All right. What what other things at the um, conference are you guys looking forward to? Are you attending any other sessions or looking forward to talking to any of the other presenters or the keynotes or anything? Well, did you even uh, mention gonna, that, uh, that the keynotes are uh, Amy Dar of Idealist and Marnie Webb of TechSoup? I didn't. I know that they are, but and I uh, love that. Now I was going to let Holly do that, but uh, it'd be uh, worth the admission just to hear that stuff. So cool well, stuff. I know I'm going to attend Peter's session. There you go. <laughs> You're just going to go to each other's sessions, and that's it, right? <laughs> well, fortunately, I believe they're both on the day that uh, I can attend. So All right. I'm go. glad mine is, at least. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. I have some other tech stuff we could talk about since you're both fellow geeks and stuff. Um, sure. I thought I'd ask you guys. This is kind of funny. I, I spoke on a panel at a Social Media Club here in Charleston a couple weeks ago, and someone brought up a question about Google Wave. And someone in the audience actually stood up and gave this great description. And someone on the panel said, that's a better description than even the Google person gave me at a demo last week. So <laughs> I was going to ask one of you two, you IT geniuses, can either one of you actually explain Google Wave? <laughs> I would defer to Peter right off the bat on this one. <laughs> and I just blogged about this two weeks in a row at Idealware. Yeah. Um, I attended a developer's preview at uh, TechSoup last month. Okay. Got a better look at it than I had. Google calls it the evolution of email. Their idea is that email is far outgrown its usefulness. and We need something that's much more rich content. One of the ways I describe Google Wave is Google Apps inverted. Okay. In the, Google Apps is a website that you can go to, and at that website you can create documents and spreadsheets and presentations and do things like that. Google Wave is kind of a website that comes to you in an application on your computer. And again, with Google Apps, once you create those documents, you can share them with people and collaborate. So Google Wave, you started on your computer and you invite people to join and you've got this thing called a wave. You know, we can call it a document, we can call it a message. And in that wave, you can create documents and edit and collaborate. You can communicate, you can incorporate active content. Anything that is a Google gadget today, like if you use iGoogle, ah, okay. all those gadgets you can download are things that can go into waves. What kind of blew me away at the demo is that the other functionality they have something they call robots. So the server that this Google Wave is running on can run various little robots. And the robots are basically little information agents. They go into databases and they have access to all this information. And they monitor what's happening in the wave and they pop in when certain words appear or actions happen in the wave and participate. Interesting. Um, <laughs> So really, the, the more I learned, the more I said, well, this isn't the successor to the email. This is the successor to websites. This is the successor to, to content management system-based websites and possibly, you know, could, could make, if you, if you think about it a little differently than we think about it today, it could be an organization's internet. Yeah. Because a wave could be shared between two people. John and I could have a wave where we spend, you know, an hour a day debating Android versus iPhone. Um, or my organization could have a wave that we invite all of our constituents to join and talk about environmental issues. Nice. So really, really kind of a, it's a really interesting, powerful concept. And what it boils down to for me is email is what it is because email is the application that you could show to your grandmother and she would buy a computer. Right. It was easy. It made sense. It provided value. 
Wave certainly provides some value. And Google is trying to make it easy. And if it's really going to be a success with email, they, I mean, that's a tall order. But they're yeah. going to have to take a lot of complexity and make it really intuitive to get there. I like the idea of bots getting in there and messing around with some stuff. It's yeah, that's to smell a little bit like semantic web, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that, that blew it open for me. That's that's much more than just a collaborative email. Nice. You know. Well, hey, I'll give you a, give you an iPhone uh, story there, John. Um, how about Flickr on the iPhone? I saw that this morning. It's you know, cool. I saw I saw a post somewhere. I threw it on my iPhone. It is very cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, I can't wait. Very easy to use. Yeah. Good. Nice, nice little app. Is there any uh, any things that you know nonprofits are able to use in there um, specifically, or just just you know, basically managing your account mobily? I, I haven't even had enough time yeah. to play with it yet, but I think mobile management yeah. is probably what it's all about. Cool. Kind of cool to see that. And uh, one more, all right, one more thing I jotted down here too about uh, Gmail going down last week. I know this is getting talked about on a lot of the tech podcasts and about being a big deal, but then I kind of came to the conclusion too that is it a big deal? I mean, Outlook Exchange servers go down all the time too. Is this kind of stuff worrisome as we move farther and farther into the cloud? Yeah, I think you have to take a grain of salt. Yeah. You know, internal systems go down too. And I think what's, you know, what I would say that I think really defends Google here is a couple of things. One, I have offline access. So I wasn't, I couldn't get my new email, but I wasn't locked out of the mail I had. (laughs) <laughs> and I've been through Gmail outages before I had their offline um, Google Gears integration. And that was that was murder. I couldn't get to my email and, right. and you know, that, that really hurt. So this wasn't as painful because at least I could get to the messages that were there. And th- the other thing is that if, you, if this is really important to you to get your mail, Pop and IMAP were still up. Yeah, that's true. Yep. So, you know, I didn't bother to do that myself. I don't have an IMAP yep. session or anything running, but... If I need to install one, I could probably do it in about 15 minutes with mail on my Mac, <laughs> or five minutes, you know. And so th- they really built up the redundancy. So that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think systems go down. I mean, you know, we have a big exchange environment, and you know, occasionally we have issues. But I think it's 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 how you react to the issue and what kind of resilience you build in to protect yourself. Uh, just like Peter said, he has access to his Gmail offline. You know, we, we do the same thing with our exchange environment, where even in an outage, which are rare and far and few between, you know, a user can still get to, you know, calendar contacts and existing email in an offline mode. So uh, it does kind of cover the outage. And we've even seen it actually make the outage almost non-exist. Nice. Is there anything else you want to bring up about the uh, ONTC? Everybody should attend uh, the ONTC. I think it's an awesome opportunity for those that find that, you know, traveling to the NTC on an annual basis is, is too much of a challenge. But this is a great opportunity to get to get the flavor, uh, I think, and kind of, uh, you know, in the virtual world. Well, you're both uh, great ambassadors for both Inten and the nonprofit space. So Holly's lucky to have you on, on the big show. So do either of you have anything you'd like to plug for your orgs? Uh, Peter, maybe I'll start with you. Uh, is there anything going on on Earth Justice? Well, I mean, we're, we're still plugging away with our environmental efforts. So, you know, we, we're waiting. I believe we're still waiting to hear a decision from a judge on the hunting of wolves in western states. And we, we've got a campaign right now, another one in the Arctic, to save polar bears and stop global warming. We, we keep really busy. We, we actually, we've had an office in Juneau, Alaska, for, for a number of years. And we, about four or five months ago, opened up one in Anchorage as well. Because oh, wow. that's where a lot of the work is. I was also happy to find that we're kind of we're partnering with uh, Danielle's organization oh, and okay. Michael's, um, yeah. the two people, two of the people who cut out on the session. They did both cut out <laughs> on the call today for for some uh, <laughs> cleaning up dirty pipeline efforts, that type of thing. 
And, you know, from my perspective, the big news there is Justice is the last month we went, and this should be big news for podcast listeners, we went live <laughs> on BlackBot Enterprise okay. and BlackBot Direct Marketing. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> I remember that's how I first met you was in the early days of that deal. Well, actually, it was the early days of Twitter, and I was just scraping people off the NP Tech feed to follow, yeah. and I followed you, and you, you DM'd me right away, and you're like, hey, are you following me because we're about to close our BBEC deal? <laughs> I was like, no. I, I had gotten about five people from BlackBot following me in a week. <laughs> I, had, <laughs> I was like, I'm in marketing. I had no idea that deal was even going on. <laughs> <laughs> I believed you. <laughs> yeah, it was true. <laughs> you were just very uh, you know, popular in the MP t- tech, you know, when I looked up the feed. No, I, I was more suspicious of McLaughlin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And you should be. <laughs> Well, Peter, that was great stuff, and uh, please uh, go check out all of Peter's work at um, earthjustice.org, and uh, you can follow uh, Peter at twitter.com slash Peter S. Campbell. And thanks for being on the show, Peter. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you'll come back. We'll get some uh, more IT stuff coming up, so we'll get you back on. I'd love to have you. And uh, John, what's going on at the uh, YMCA of San Diego County? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, definitely being a part of the YMCA is really about the local community. So uh, everything that the YMCA of San Diego County is doing is really focused right here in San Diego. The Y is working hard in tough times to continue to serve over 500,000 um, families, kids, and people um, right here in our community. Uh, a couple of upcoming uh, exciting things here in San Diego is that we have new uh, two new uh, branch locations opening up, uh, one out in the eastern region of the county and one down near the border. So always exciting to see new uh, YMCA locations coming online. All right. Well, John, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And definitely keep up with John at twitter.com slash John Merritt or at ymca.org. That does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Holly Ross, Peter Campbell, and John Merritt. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Chad Norman or by checking out my blog at blackbot.com slash webby things. If any of you listeners have feedback, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. Until next time, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. This is like the rockiest podcast ever. I'm so sorry, John. Peter, you. Okay, let me get her on real quick.